The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you by Suzanne Giesman's new online course, Three Keys to Unlock Your Powers of Mediumship. Go to unityonlineradio.org Suzanne to sign up today. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. I just love sharing with all of you, and I love the feedback you give me during the week of how many of you enjoy these shows, even if you don't listen live, that you you uh, tune in regularly because you find it uplifting, and that's exactly what we want to do. Our subject today is a very serious one. It's about suicide, but we're bringing you a guest who is one of the strongest women I've met who has grappled with this issue and now is a voice that is who is out there making a difference. Her name is Leanne Hull, and I met her through Helping Parents Heal, one of my favorite organizations. In fact, so many of you are members of that group. We're all shining light parents with our kids across the veil. And I knew when I met Leanne that her son Andy had completed suicide But I didn't know much about her or about Andy, and we ended up sitting across each other at a dinner table at a restaurant in Cave Creek, Arizona, and I invited Andy to drop in on us, not having met him, and I remember feeling his bright, sunshiny presence, and I remember looking up at Leanne and her husband Clay across the table and I said there's something he was really into baseball he showed me baseball and it's really important and as I came to learn and if you read Leanne's new book you'll find out how important baseball really was to Andy so sometimes all it takes is just one little piece of evidence like that and you know yep that's my boy so I this topic of suicide is very close to me because unfortunately So many of the spirits I bring through from the other side pass that way. In fact, in one amazing week, I did 10 readings in a row with 10 cases of suicide. And that is when you know the spirit world is trying to get your attention. I I have a feeling that those across the veil know that I can tune into them more clearly when they've passed that way. And they have important messages for us here that they are okay. And um, each one is a little different, but. That's the one thing I want to assure all of you right off the bat, that not a single one is, quote, burning in hell. Everybody is surrounded by love across the veil. And Leanne Hull 
oozes love. I um, want to share with you that she had a, a long career running her own business, then realized she had a gift for motivating, inspiring others as a public speaker. And I've heard her speak, and she's definitely inspirational. And when her 16-year-old son, Andy, died by suicide in 2012, she founded a nonprofit to raise awareness about the high rate of suicide among youth in this country. And rather than read a bio, I just want to bring you in, Leanne, because uh, we want everybody to feel your energy right off the bat. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Suzanne. I was really looking forward to being here with you. And uh, you're so busy, and it's awesome to get this really one-on-one time to chat with you. So thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm just excited to share you with everybody else. Those of you who have read my book still right here will recognize that Leanne is the woman that I interviewed at the end of the book because I featured four couples who have children across the veil, but I realized that we didn't have anybody who had had to deal with suicide. And I was introduced to Leanne that weekend when I met her in the restaurant, and I, without knowing her well, asked her if she would allow me to interview her. And Leanne, that was such a powerful couple of hours we spent together in your home. Yeah. I was yeah. You just awakened me to whole new ways of looking at suicide, and that's why I'm so excited to share you with everybody today. Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting because I don't know, I I didn't realize it when you invited me on the show, what today is. Do you know what today is? Oh, don't tell me it's like National <sighs> Suicide Awareness Day. It is World oh. Mental Health Day. World Mental Health so, Day. Oh, my goodness. I know. Well, there's I a spirit wink if I ever saw is. one. <laughs> so I just, yeah. the timing is, and I've had a couple of those happen here this week. I ended up being invited on to another show, and as we were going through about halfway through the show, I had an aha moment. I went, oh, my gosh, you're friends with Suzanne Giesman. So it's so interesting how interconnected we all are and just being directed by the spiritual forces out there that I really had no idea were at work the way that they are. This has been an awakening for me, for sure. Well, let's help you to awaken others to to the whole. uh, So many angles surrounding suicide, and a lot of people might hear this and say, oh, I don't want to listen to this show today. Please do not turn this off because it's going to be empowering and it'll awaken us to the challenges that so many people are facing that we're not aware of. So let's just start with your backstory. Why don't you tell us about, just go right to Andy and his passing and how that changed your life. You, you know, we, um, it dropped us to our knees. It, it definitely changed our lives, altered our whole course, our whole thought process, shifted our religious views. I mean, it really turned us upside down. Andy was our fourth child, our youngest, and just a real bright spot in our life. Not that the other kids weren't, but he was just extra special in the sense that he, his nickname was Sunshine because that is really what he exuded every day of his life, what he brought to the table, what he brought to his friends, what he brought to our lives. He was easy. He was happy. He was fun, adventuresome, um, just just really a wonderful, just a wonderful child. So Andy was... Yeah, and, and if I interrupt you here, this is when the people listening are saying, well, this doesn't sound like somebody would, that would take their own life. Right. And it's interesting because that is the common stereotype is we do think that there is this typical type of person. And that unfortunately is why we're missing the signs and missing the ability to help those who might be contemplating suicide is because we don't realize 
that it's the person sitting next to you, that it is your one of your family members, that there is no stereotype anymore to who or what that person looks like. And we have to open our eyes and connect in a different way than we ever used to. And that's how we're going to change the statistics and save lives. So Andy actually is very typical in terms of the types of people that do complete suicide. That's not to say that our original idea of that stereotypical person, someone who is already depressed or maybe isolated or predisposed to um, mental health issues, they, of course, they're a candidate for suicide as well. But the everyday happy person can be momentarily triggered to a really painful moment to act upon a painful moment in a you know an unhealthy way and that was Andy's case so he was you know just a really involved kid one step away from being an eagle scout he was a youth leader at church really grounded in his faith based his dad was the committee chairman for boy scouts you know we couldn't have he couldn't have had more involved parents either he couldn't have had more involved siblings it just you know, he was just uh, an unlikely, as what people would think, candidate for suicide. He and was a star also athlete, a really, too. Yes, a really gifted athlete. He was being scouted as a left-handed pitcher by the Dodgers, the Royals, Annapolis, West Point, Kansas State. I mean, you name it. And everybody wanted Andy, and not just because of his physical prowess, but because he was that sunshine. He brought that sunshine to the game, and he had that tenacity to work through the challenges, to not let, you know, a, a, a bad score get him down and, and to really lift the team and, and overcome that. So who doesn't want that? I mean, any business, any athletic team, we all want that. We want that person that can help us and mm -hmm. lead us to a brighter spot. And he did that. So that's the first thing that I talk about when I have the opportunity to share in my suicide awareness presentations is let's dispel the previous myths about who that candidate is and open our eyes and realize that mental health is no different than physical health. We brush our teeth every day, we put on our seatbelts, and we should really be looking at what are some of the positive things that we're doing or what are the things that we're doing to encourage a positive outcome that day. So mental health is something that we need to focus on and address just like we do our physical health. That's so important if we're going to get rid of the stigma and the shame. And of course, that's probably, you know, I didn't just start out saying I'm going to start this nonprofit foundation and be a do-gooder and, and all of that. That's not where this really began for me. I mean, it 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 wasn't it wasn't an easy process. It was, uh, I mean, I literally was on the concrete the day that Andy transitioned and moved to heaven. So finding my way up off the concrete, not just physically, but emotionally and then spiritually was something I had to work really hard at. And we will um, absolutely talk about that because you have so many good tools for those who might still be in that shape right now. But just very briefly, would you share with everybody who's saying, well, what happened? What happened? Why did he do that? Yeah. And that's what's interesting is that it, oftentimes people think that it's an ongoing, long-term struggle with depression or mental illness, and it can be very, very impulsive, very situational. 
all of us, I think, at any given time can say that there's something that's really challenging us, that we may be faced with difficulties at work or in our relationships. And for Andy, it began with a prescription drug called Accutane. And he started taking that about four months before he passed. And it's a, uh, it was prescribed by his dermatologist. He had to, it's an oral medication. He had to see his dermatologist once a month with, and have blood tests and have basically little mini counseling sessions. And I did sign a waiver that day that said suicide, psychosis, and depression are potential side effects. Oof. And I totally dismissed it because, well, first of all, Andy's sunshine. And secondly, I'm a good mom. And if anything were going on with my kid, I would know it. And then thirdly, you know, we've become so we don't pay attention to those things anymore. Almost every drug these days, if you listen to the ads on TV, they all say that. They say suicide is a, or depression, you know, call your doctor at the first signs of suicidal thoughts. I mean, it's just so common, unfortunately, that we don't realize that those precautions are because they impacted someone. It's not just, a stati- you know, it's just not something that someone decided to add. It's because they impacted someone and well, personalize that, that really that really, really strikes close that. to home because i i took accutane i just did the math 39 years ago full dose and had to do those monthly blood tests and you're right we just think well that may be somebody else but that's not going to affect our family right and for the most part probably it won't although i have spoken with many people who will tell me now that they took accutane as a teenager and they can recall feeling really struggling with anger and depression and just a lot of things. And what that drug has the potential of doing is affecting the frontal lobe, which is where your clear thinking goes on. And so it can impact one's ability to process everyday's, you know, challenges. And mm. for Andy, it was a breakup and other things going on at school. So you start with the drug that's impacting his brain and his clear thinking. And then he was feeling pressure like so much of us. I mean, I think everyone today can say that we feel pressure to one degree or another. And and, uh, he was definitely feeling that with all of the things pulling at him, scouts and church and sports, family, friends, girlfriend. And he just um, didn't know how to juggle it all, how to manage it and do it well. So his idea was to put the brakes on a relationship that he, with a young woman that he, he loved, but he just didn't, you know, he's 16, and <laughs> I don't think clearly in general. So that's a challenging time for, for kids, and she wasn't too happy with that. Consequently, time, you know, a month or so passed, and Andy had a shoot, you know, what did I, what did I do? I want her back. And in the process of that, you know, they both had started dating other people, but they really both still loved each other. But, you know, what's that saying, a woman scorned? Mm. Hell hath no fire like a woman scorned. Yeah, that's it. And um, that's how she felt, and legitimately so. I mean, gosh, Suzanne, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, if someone wrongs me or hurts me, my natural instinct is to is to want to hurt back. And and then as an adult or as a, a clearer thinking person, the more 
mature I get or better I, able I am to process things, you know, then we can make decisions about those natural instincts. Um, I think that is a normal instinct to want to hurt back when we've been hurt. And that's what she wanted to do. And the Friday before Andy passed, she and a couple of friends, they played a joke on Andy and they didn't mean anything by it. It was just a teenage prank. And I know that, you know, I know these kids and they would never have wanted anything to happen to Andy and, and they would never have wanted any harm to come to him. But you see, we, we never know who's behind the mask that we wear every day. And now you, Andy, you talk, you talk to a lot of school kids as part of Andy Hall's Sunshine Foundation. Is this one of the things that you talk about? Because there's so many factors at play here, how we treat each yeah, other. There were. Right. And that's the challenge is that we, any one of these things, if any one of the triggers had been changed, you know, it's possible that Andy would still be here. And so that's the the thing. We never think that that one thing is big enough to cause someone else to act upon in a harmful way. And, you know, it that one thing wasn't necessarily the one thing, but it was a culmination of Andy not thinking clearly from the drug, his heart now was broken, and then he was humiliated with the bullying, and then he had a teacher that was also bullying him. And for any athlete or anybody aspiring to get a scholarship, whether it's music or sports or academics, any one teacher can have a life-altering effect on that. And that's something we really love the opportunity to be able to talk to administrators and educators because I want them to understand that their one action, they too don't know who's behind the mask of those kids that they're teaching every day. And for Andy, their personalities, they clashed. And, you know, I encourage if there's an educator out there, you know, if you've got a personality clash with a student, take that second, take a breath and, and look at it from a different perspective. And maybe the student would be better served in a different class rather than trying to just drive your point, you know. And that, I tried to get him out of the class and it just, I thought that he understood that I was working on that and that he could trust me and be patient on that. But that morning um, that he passed, he left her class right at the end of the class, second hour, and she was failing him. And for an athlete, that meant that he wasn't going to be eligible for varsity baseball. The scouts and the coaches that were calling him, that's all they cared about. Andy was a commodity. And hmm. he couldn't see, he didn't he couldn't see that there was a future beyond that. His world in his mind that wasn't working properly, in addition to a heart that was broken, he didn't. He couldn't see past that. Yeah, and, you've really had the time and put all these pieces of it together, and yeah. it really makes sense. We have. I talked to so many shining light parents or, or other family members of those who've completed suicide who who don't understand what went wrong, and they ask, "Why? Why? What do you have to say to them?" Well, that's a really important. That is so important because. That's one of my topics I'm going to be speaking on at the conference coming up in April is to let go of the why. And this is why you have to let go of the why. So all of the, all of the things that I 
believe to be true, first of all, I don't know them for a fact. Andy's not here. These are presumptions. Uh, these are pieces that I put together. But the most important thing is they don't change what has happened. Yeah. Nothing's going to bring Andy back. So let's just say I get an answer and it's it's a confident, I can be 100% sure that this is why this happened to Andy. Does Does that make me feel any better? Does that change anything? No, hmm. nothing. So all you're doing is torturing yourself in, and holding yourself hostage with the why because the end result is it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. And even then when I will get to see Andy again, even more importantly, it won't matter then because all I'll know, be excited about is the hug. Amen to that. But I hear you, and I can hear so many people that haven't been through this, and I, I feel a, a family member saying this is what happened, and a very human response is to say, what happened? Why? So other people are asking us why. Right. So is there an answer to that for those who yes, are supposed to leave the why behind? Yeah, it's a decision. And, I, and Suzanne, of course, I get a lot of judgment about that statement when I – you know, because my, it's certainly not judgment that I no, want no, no. to give to any parent or anybody else. I want to offer you a path to move past where you are, not to move past your child. And that's the biggest fear oftentimes is that if I leave this place of grief and loss and haunting, that somehow my child is only connected with that place and I'm going to leave my child behind and then people won't know. I've heard, I've had people actually say to me um, that, well, Leanne, you obviously didn't have as close a relationship to Andy as I have with my child. I could never be where you're at. Oh my mm. gosh. I couldn't have been any closer to Andy. Yeah. I couldn't have loved him anymore. I couldn't have been any more devastated. This was not easy to get where I'm at. This took, this took years of work. I mean, I'm six and a half years into this, and it took two years of really working and making cognitive decisions about my mental health process on a daily basis to where it would become a natural part of my thinking. Yeah, it was Instead you, you were the one that really opened my eyes to the fact that some people think that if they're not grieving, they didn't love their loved one enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I remember, I'm, certainly I understand all those things because I remember the day when someone asked me and it was about, it was a few months after Andy passed and someone said, how are you? And, and I would probably tell you this was more like maybe a year afterwards. And I said, I'm okay. And I, I heard myself say that and I went, wow, Leanne, did you just say that out loud? And and I felt kind of bad about it because mm. I felt like I almost had to justify it and let the other person know I'm okay, but I want you to know that I still, you know, I'll never get over losing Andy. So we feel this, and I don't feel that now, but I mean, I definitely did then feel the need to make sure people understood the depth of my grieving process and the magnitude of the loss in our family. Yeah. So are people able to talk about suicide more openly now or is there still a big stigma? 
Well, I think it's interesting because I think people are wanting to think that that's the case. So there's definitely more more talk about it. I don't think the detachment from the stigma has happened yet, and maybe that will come with time. And more importantly, the shame that comes with, with suicide. Um, a feeling of guilt. What could I have done? What should I have done? Um, what did I miss? And so there's just so much. And that another S word, that, shame, that suicide is so selfish. So you've got the stigma, shame, selfishness, all attached to suicide. And as, the more that we can talk about it and practice it, then I think that some of those things will happen. So I guess that's a good thing that at least we're all attempting to do that yet. I, I know when what? I talk to parents to talk about it, to okay. say the word suicide. If you talk to a parent who, whose child, whose the possibility is that it wasn't necessarily like they didn't leave a suicide note, and he didn't leave a suicide note, but it was clear that his was suicide. But if there's a possibility that it wasn't necessarily suicide, there's nobody, there's no parent, there's no loved one that's going to want to tell someone else that their loved one died by suicide because of that shame. They would rather say anything else, you know. Um, so I, I don't even want to go into examples yeah. because no, no need. it upsets people and I don't want to do that. You know, that's not my goal. It's, I just want people to understand there is no shame in the suicide. It's no different than any other kind of passing. It's no different than cancer. It's, it's, an, it's an illness of the brain, if you want to say, a momentary um, inability of the brain to process correctly in a healthy way. And I'm sharing that on like National my, Mental Health Awareness Day yeah. is just stunning. So we are coming right to the end of the first half hour far too quickly, but Leanne is the author <laughs> of a brand new book. This is just wonderful that it just came out. It's hot off the presses, and it's called how to live when you want to die. And it's a roadmap for healing from the loss of a loved one. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that roadmap when we get back from the break, Leanne. But how's the book being received so far? It's really good. The response has been kind of interesting. People say, oh, it must have been really cathartic for you to write it. No, I'd already gone through the catharsis. I, I started mm. writing it three years into this. So the book is for everyone else. Okay, like we're going we're gonna to talk about that book, How to Live When You Want to Die, right after the break. So please don't go away because a lot of great tips for everybody from Leanne, who really knows she walks the talk. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. 
Hey, we're having a very good conversation today with Leanne Hull. It's a serious topic, mostly focusing on suicide, but a lot of good pointers, and we're going to get many more of them in this next half hour. If you want to learn more about Leanne's book, about her work, go to leannehull.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-H-U-L-L. You can also go to andessunshine.com. Two S's in the middle, andessunshine.com. So, Leanne, your book is How to Live When You Want to Die, a roadmap for healing from the loss of a loved one. So not just suicide, correct? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I really wanted the book because so many other things can lead us to have um, depression, mental health issues, thoughts of suicide. I mean, it could be a bankruptcy, could be an infidelity in a relationship, a divorce, any number of things that can drop you to your knees. These are the things that we need to learn and be better prepared in how to handle them with, you know, some healthy coping skills so that we don't end up with thoughts of suicide or hurting ourselves. Um, ah, so and, it's and not you know, just, it's not just a book for healing from loss of loved one. It's, it's literally what the topic says, how to live when you want to die. Right. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was a really catchy title because it it's is great. exactly how I felt. And I want, that's, that's something I really want people to understand they see who I am today and they sometimes they can't relate with it because they're like man I don't feel that at all I'm still in the depths of despair and I, I don't see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that's why I wrote that because I did feel like I wanted to die every day and I think that was really important for me to experience so that number one I understood a little bit better what was what Andy was feeling and number two, then I could be really authentic about the messaging that I deliver because I do want people to understand I, I get this firsthand. I, you know, I walked up to the edge of, of ending my life and thinking about it. And, you know, thankfully I have really good coping skills and I have a great network of people around me. But I understood in that moment that it can be a very impulsive triggered by just something, you know, yesterday you didn't feel this way and today something feels like your life, your world fell apart. And so you have to be prepared just like we are physically and doing things um, to take care of ourselves from a physical standpoint or, or wearing our seatbelt in our car. We want to prepare for that potential accident. Same thing with mental health. There are lots of things that we can do in advance that will keep us safer when those triggering moments do come along. And, and I well, say, let's when, talk about it. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Dive right in. Well, I know, I think I shared one of yours that was really excellent uh, in a public forum recently, and I gave you full credit for it about the music playlist. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just share that yeah. one? You know, for Andy, he watched a music video when the deputies took his computer, they confiscated his computer and his phones and, stuff like that, everything out of his room. And when I got it back, the deputy said to me, Leanne, I don't know whether this will help, but Andy watched a music video seconds before he ended his life. And he said, you should watch it. And I did. And it was, it was terrible. In fact, that music video is by a wildly popular rap artist. And the comments in the video are from people who say, wow, such a great music video. The 
awesome, awesome. And you know what the problem is, is that this music video doesn't come right out and say, hey, you should end your life. However, it does depict that in the mm. music video in a subliminal way. And it's, it was horrifying to me to realize that, that that just reinforced Andy's sadness. And so that's the, when I hear people tell me that they're listening to these songs and they make them cry, I just want to shake them and say, well, why are you listening to that song then? Stop mm-hmm. listening to these songs that are enforcing the sadness that you already feel. Get a playlist that you can count on when you are feeling blue or something has happened in your life that you, you need a little boost. Get a playlist that's specifically designed to lift you up. Maybe it's um, Pharrell Williams' Happy. I don't know. Whatever it is that puts a smile on your face and will change you. I rely upon that. Music is such a powerful tool. Hey, oh, yeah, it's it all, all about vibrations, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so when you have these triggers, you just have to consciously say, I'm not going there and take control and put on the more positive vibe. So talk more about coping skills of being aware of things. The, some of the things that I did after Andy, well, I mean, I had a great, a great many coping tools before Andy passed. And that helped because honestly, and that's why I tell people you do need to prepare in advance because it's really hard to to develop them in the midst of a crisis. You can add to your toolbox, but you need to start with some in advance. So that's number one. Let's talk about, you know, we talked about music. I was an avid reader before Andy passed. And the books that I had read before were books that I was able to draw upon in that, in that instant, in that moment, same with the Psalms, in that moment after Andy passed, those first terrible few hours, those were the words, those were the lyrics, those were the songs that were going through my head. And two things that I said right after Andy passed, um, I will praise you in the storm, which is one of the songs I listened to, And it was a decision then. I was choosing in that moment that I was going to find a way out of the storm. I was going to not curse and cuss and and why me? Why me? You know, why not Mm me? Hmm. And that those books that I'd read, I realized that I wasn't the first mom or first person to go through trauma. And that connected me with a world base of other individuals so that I didn't feel so isolated. And I Let knew me just then, uh, jump in could, there. And, and I know that there's a book, a list of recommended books on many sites. And one of those being helpingparentsheal.org. They have a list of just the right kind of books for helping with what we're talking about today. Yes, that's so important. And, you know, I didn't, everybody and their brother, and that's not to say that maybe a grief book, it won't work for you. But for me, I knew that wasn't I didn't want to read books on grief. I was already living it. I wanted to read books that uplifted me. I read 80 yeah. books that first How many? year after Andy passed. 80. 80. Yeah. I get that. And <laughs> Because I needed more tools. I knew that I, so I, I surrounded, I started going to the Helping Parents Heal meetings uh, the second month after Andy passed. And that put me with other like-minded people, a support group people that I could identify with and also people who had already 
come out of the throes of, of despair and the darkness of despair. And they but let me could, you let know, me say me that, that I know you had a little bit of trouble with those first few meetings. And I know that oh some people gosh. who are listening right now will say, oh, I'm not the kind of person to go to support group. I'm not going to go and talk about my stuff in front of people I don't know. <laughs> I'm so glad you do know me so well. So yes, that is Man, I, I went to that first meeting and I didn't want to be there. And after I left, I said, I'm never going back. And I did that almost every time for the first couple years. But I also knew that I didn't have all, what was necessary for me if I was going to ever move forward, that I needed what they had. It's like that movie when Harry met Sally, you know, and, she, you know, and the, mm, when she's, mm-hmm. <laughs> baking the, you know, and the lady next to her, I want what she has. Well, I wanted what some, what, what some of those parents that were further along in the journey, I wanted what they had. And now, you know, I can extend that, that arm, that hand on down to new parents and pull them up as well. Um, not everybody wants that. So you have to be willing to, to not keep dragging and pulling the ones that don't want to be dragged along. <laughs> But those meetings, lots of great books, great music, uh, outdoor activities. I had a friend of mine call me, and it was after her husband had passed, and she was really in a dark moment. She said, Leanne, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do right now. And I said, first thing I want you to do is walk out your front door while we're talking. Take the phone, walk out the front door, and then we're going to talk as you walk around the block. Brilliant. And just that walking, oh my gosh, I'm getting goosebumps, because just that getting out of that setting in your mm-hmm. house, in nature, where you feel, I, I think there must be some, I don't, I don't know how that works, honestly, but I know that it works. I know that just being out around nature has the ability to transform the way that you see your life. And it doesn't fix everything. That's a really big distinction to make. Mm. The books that I read, the music that I listened to, taking a walk, it didn't fix me. What it did was it put me in a different emotional place. It put me in a, I crossed a bridge using my coping skills to where I'm now in a position that I can make a different decision about that way that I felt just moments ago. Yeah. Beautiful. that's an important now that's that's so important for people to understand the difference between your emotions and feelings versus your decisions and eventually with enough repetition of healthy positive life affirming decisions your emotions and your feelings will follow great but you have to act first and just repeat then what some of the actions people can do are. Making a playlist, a, hel- a, a wonderful playlist of great songs, Champion by Carrie Underwood. I love that song. Oh. Uh, to- yeah. Toby Mack, uh, Move. You know, just keep moving, moving. You've got to keep moving forward. Um, joy. I choose Joy by... Um, Oh, King and Country, King and Country. I mean, there's so many great songs out there. So be selective about the songs and have them ready to put in, you know, to put on when you're feeling blue. 
have some books on hand. Be prepared in advance. You know, I'm, I'm always scouring for books or Kindle or whatever it is that you do. Have some in advance on hand that, you know, that you might be able to pick up. And I reread them. So what I read a year ago or five years ago, I'm a different person now. And so I might not have, I might not mm-hmm. have read that the first time around. So I'm, I'm always wanting to learn and grow. And this then, sounds like a lot of work, Leanne. Oh my gosh, it's it's exhausting some days. Some days it's easy and some days it's exhausting. It's like going to the gym though. Yeah. It, you don't go to the gym and think that you're not going to work at it. If you or want that, that you can, outcome, unfortunately or that you can one day stop going to the gym, right? <laughs> right, because then you you revert, you can almost revert back, you know really quickly so it does take whether you have depression or anything else I mean it's still I just want to really make this point that if you brush your teeth every day what are you doing every day to produce a positive mental outcome in your life are you doing anything actively and it is work, but it, it has such a benefit, such a payoff. You say how to live when you want to die. Well, you, you know, you take a proactive approach and bit by bit, like going to the gym, get stronger. Yeah. I, you know, for me, this was the biggest thing for anybody that's had a loss. This is what motivated me on. There were two things I thought about. Number one, if the tables were reversed and Andy was here and I was there, how would I want him to be living? What would I want him to be doing? Would I want him to be, would I be proud of how he's, if he's acting like me? You know, would I, is that something mm-hmm. to be proud of? Or would I want him to be doing something better, to be living every moment of his life? Or should he be grieving and, and uh, in despair and wasting yeah. this gift? So yeah. that was important. And then... Um, that disconnect of realizing when I realized that my grief is not the best way to let people know who Andy is. My joy is the best way to let people know who Andy is because that's who he is. And I want people to see him and they can only see him through me because he's not here in the physical sense. So how Mm -hmm. I'm living, who I am is the best representative of my kid. Yeah, you know, you just made me think of our mutual friend, Irene Buvalides, who's um, vice president of Helping Parents Heal. Today is her daughter, Carly's birthday. Carly's across the veil, mm-hmm. but the whole family is celebrating with cake today. They're they're celebrating yeah. her life with joy, knowing she's still part of their life. Instead of this, of course, it's a bittersweet day, but, but showing Carly, we know you're still with us, and we're celebrating you. And this is what you're talking about, Leanne. It's like showing... Andy and all of us showing our loved ones. Yes, I miss you, but I can still celebrate you. Right. I want that. I want that. And I do have to work at that. And not, I don't uh, succeed at that every day. Just because I've had years now of practice and I'm much better at it, it doesn't mean that there aren't days that, that trigger me and that are really more difficult and that there aren't days that I cry and really do miss him. But I saw a medium uh, about 40 days after Andy passed. And in that first visit, towards the end of the, of the session, Andy said, you know, my mom is tough as nails and she's going to be fine. 
And yeah. I wake up every day reminding myself of that, and I want to prove him right every day that I'm going but to be you fine, don't have to and be that I am tough, tough as nails. Don't have to right. be tough all the time, but a balance, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can strive for it. That's what I'm saying. I strive for it every day. That doesn't mean I, I'm always successful at it. Because sometimes, hey, life is, life is tough. Oh, yeah. It's hard. There are all these other things that, you know, get in the way. Um, but they also provide us the opportunity to see the light in contrast to the darkness. Well, I would just like to take about five minutes and talk just a little bit more for those, if we could focus back on suicide again for a few minutes, for those who are really struggling with this right now. Let's talk about that, that shame issue. Have, yeah. What have you learned for dealing with people when they ask how your son passed? How do you deal with that gut clench that you probably felt at first? Uh, I mentioned it, a lady at the store yesterday, she noticed a necklace that I wear and it has Andy's picture on it. And she, she was the clerk at the store and she, she picked it, she pulled it away from my chest wow. and she looked at it, which I love it when people notice that. But then that gives me the opportunity. I can, I can say all kinds of things. And I say, yeah, that's my son, Andy. He died by suicide when he was 16 years old. And she responded really well. The person standing next to her responded almost like she was going to catch something from me. Hmm. So it was terrifying for her, and she really couldn't get away fast enough. So that shame is alive and well, and that is, that is something we have to continue to work on, especially in our male population, because men are seen to be weak if they ask for help. So let me tell you, I speak to lots and lots of construction men out here on the job site where my husband works. And I love that opportunity to tell them it's a strong man that is able to ask for help. It's a hmm. strong man that is able to do that. We have to get rid of that correlation between strength and, and asking for help when we need it. You know, maybe you need... You can always call the suicide hotline. You can call the crisis line. You can call 911. You can see a counselor. There's, you can go to an emergency room. If you need that emergency help, that immediate help, don't wait. Don't think twice. And if you have a loved one that you're concerned about, don't think twice. Get the help good, first. Good and advice. Now, but let's go back a second to the the scene in the grocery store. How how did you feel when that woman acted like she was going to catch something contagious from you? Did, have you learned to to not let that affect you? Yeah, actually, I, what it does is it propels me on even further. And you know, well, you know me, Suzanne. It makes me want to keep talking. So I want to grab her and say, "Listen, this is not contagious." But I know it's just a, a process. It was fear. The sales clerk happened to know her apparently, and she said she has a grandson that's 16. So what she did in her mind is she identified, and it scared her. Yes, that's and it. that's that's why she responded the way that she did. So the more that I'm able to be out there and tell people this is what happened to my son, and put I'm a normal I am. I'm a normal looking mom. I'm a normal looking woman. I can tell them about Andy and that through that conversation, then the education will come and people will be hopefully more willing 
to address mental health in a manner that just like we do physical health. So do you have yes, an I'm, elevator speech, meaning that 30 second thing you say in a situation that that educates people or puts people at ease because certainly all of us listening can understand that that woman's reaction and anybody we don't know what to say yeah i do i and i use our wristbands we have a um on our website on andy sunshine we if you have an organization or a group you'd like you matter wristbands for they're free so all you have to do is fill out our form and i carry them with me and that is my my means of having that elevator speech my son died by suicide he was an amazing kid. He was a bright, shining light. And um, I, here, I want you to have this wristband. I want you to know that you matter. And maybe if you don't want the wristband, maybe there's someone else in your mm-hmm. life that you need to tell that they matter to you. And that's mm-hmm. really where I leave it is that that connection, when we can connect with people on a heart level rather than just a shake hands, hello, pass pass them by, that's how we're going to change the statistics and hopefully eradicate suicide at some point in time is really allowing people into our world and open ourselves up being vulnerable. It's my vulnerability that makes makes my story um, acceptable, I guess, yeah. because yeah. I'm. It's happened to me, and I'm I'm real, and that puts people at ease then for them to share their wounds so if you have a wound you know that i think that that's why we have the struggles and trials in life is so that we can identify with more people we can connect through our wounds unfortunately that's usually how we best connect is through our hurts and our pains and our sorrows gratefully there what goes down does come back up the nature of life here Leanne, before we run out of time, some of you may have noticed, those of you listening, that we said repeatedly people complete suicide. And most of us grew up hearing the term committed suicide. And the more that I have associated through my work as a medium with people who have dealt with suicide in their family, they really prefer to say completed suicide. I know why now, but for those who may not have heard this shift in terms, why don't you tell us what that's about? You know, the term which everybody used to use, committed suicide, really, it makes you think that they've committed a crime. And in fact, it did used to be a crime to commit suicide. And and that stemmed from a lot of different reasons. And so that's overcoming that is a is a good thing that we it's no longer a crime. And it is recognizing that it's no different than dying by cancer or by a car accident, or by any other means. It's just a method of transitioning to the spiritual world. And that's what suicide is, is is just that method of transition. There's, well, albeit it's not what we want any more than any other type. I mean, we certainly don't want to lose a young person to leukemia or anything else like that. This is no different. It's completed a, a completed or died by suicide that's so important not just for the person that has you know left that way but for everybody left behind help because there's so much copycat there's so much at risk for the family and the friends after Mm. the loss of a suicide 
And so the more that we can reduce that stigma and shame and bring it into the light and have these conversations, the less likelihood is that somebody's going to follow in their footsteps. Perfect. That's so really I'm important. just really grateful you've come on the show to share that with just a, a minute or two to go. Have, if there's anything else that you wanted to share, you wanted a point you really wanted to make with people, now's your chance. The most important thing I think that I can ever say to someone is let go of the whys of the of things that happen to us, whether it's suicide or whether it's a divorce or whatever it is because the whys don't change anything get back into the driver's seat of your life because a why is a passenger seat get back into the driver's seat and take ownership and make some decisions about you can't change what's happened how am i going to move forward that's so important no matter what we're going through how can we move forward and take charge of that okay and then one thing we didn't touch on very much and we don't have much time but i know that one of the reasons that you're you're so able to smile these days is that you know andy is still part of your life Mm -hmm. does he still drop in on you and play tricks and leave signs he does oh my gosh he he totally does and i love that i love the all the all the signs that we get from him um there's a picture my husband draws and he's been drawing pictures and he drew Andy's portrait and just the other day Andy's por- Andy's portrait just fell off the wall and oh. we were just both laughed we were like okay we know you're here <laughs> we get it you it. know so it's really fun yes he definitely is a part a huge part of our life now different than the physical part but absolutely ever present in the spiritual sense Wonderful. Well, everybody, I hope you've enjoyed talking with Leanne. Please visit her website, leannehull.com. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing with us and your book, How to Live When You Wanted to Die. Thank you so much, Leanne. Thanks, Suzanne, for having me. It was really awesome. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.